0: The Hatfield-McCoy War of the late 19th century exploded over a, does anybody know? A pig. Yeah, how'd you know that? That's weird. Um, Their animosity had originated during the Civil War, but swine is what escalated their feud. Floyd Hatfield claimed that the pig was his, but Randall McCoy believed ownership belonged to him. The case went to trial, as these things do. Bill Statton, a relative of both families, testified in favor of Mr. Hatfield. Bill Statton was soon killed after by two McCoy boys. The feud escalated when a Hatfield son became involved with a McCoy daughter then abandoned her when she was pregnant. Three of her brothers later brutally killed Ellison Hatfield, brother of Devil Anse Hatfield. The boys were taken prisoner. Devil Anse, enraged, intercepted the prisoner convoy and murdered the McCoy boys. In 1888, the Hatfield clan surrounded a McCoy cabin and opened fire on the sleeping family, killing two children. If you can't keep track of what's really going on, that's my point. Violence begets violence. It's always tempting to meet evil with evil. As human beings, if we are wronged, we are tempted to take matters into our own hands. Sometimes we want to enact justice. Sometimes we want to deal out even more than justice. If slapped, we want to slap back harder. If cut off in traffic, we want to cut that person off and not even use our blinker. If dishonored, we want to dishonor. And in doing so, we enter into a cycle of of vengeance that has marked humanity for thousands and thousands of years. Kingdom citizens are called to a higher ethic. We are called to end cycles of retaliation. Turn to Matthew 5. We have Bibles in the back. Please have your Bible in front of you. Turn to Matthew 5 and verse 38. Jesus is in the middle of interpreting Old Testament laws or an understanding of the Old Testament laws for his kingdom people. He's Reinterpreting, clarifying them, elevating them, giving them a richer, deeper understanding of what it means for us to live out as kingdom people with new hearts and subservience to our king. And so look at verse 38. Chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. This is a quotation from Exodus 21, 24. And Deuteronomy 1921, it's known as the Lex Talionis, which is Latin for the law of retribution. And this law was used in, in the court system to mitigate excessive punishment. The idea was for the punishment to fit the crime. You take an eye, you lose an eye. You take a tooth, you lose a tooth. It's not to exceed the crime. Which is fair. Yet it was abused by a number of religious leaders in Jesus' day. Each man was permitted to be his own judge, jury, and executioner. A bunch of Rambos running around and, and civil justice was taken into one, one's own hands and replaced with personal vengeance. So what is Jesus' desire for his kingdom people? Look at 39, the first part of it. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Now, what does that mean? This passage seems to suggest a pacifism that sits by and lets evil go unchecked, which is really hard to reconcile with with other passages of of Scripture. I mean, Jesus, Jesus opposed men profaning God's temple. What did he do? He flipped some tables, and he made a whip. Imagine being one of the disciples, Jesus just putting a whip together, like, Jesus, what are you doing? And then him just... We must definitely resist evil in in certain situations. We're told to resist the devil and the evil he stands for and inspires. So, So what does he mean here when Jesus says, do not resist the one who is evil? with the law of retribution in view, I believe he is saying in in our personal interactions, we do not resist an evil person with evil that will lead to more evil. Another way to say this is kingdom citizens reject retaliation. If you write something down, you write this down. Kingdom citizens reject retaliation. We do not seek personal, vengeful retaliation. We seek to end cycles of vengeance and and retribution. Paul says, do not pay back evil for evil to anyone. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for God to deal with those who hurt you. And then Jesus gives us four illustrations exaggerated scenarios to catch our attention and to force us how we might to to think about how we might respond in in such situations when we're wronged. Now, making moral absolutes out of any of these commands without looking at the context or other passages of scripture or understanding, uh, you know, the Bible as a whole, Old Testament new, it will lead to some misapplication. But let's let's just jump in here and kind of work through this. Look at at the rest of 39. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. What does that mean? It seems to be allowing for one to be abused, to subject themselves to physical danger. This passage is less about subjecting yourself to a physical attack, and more about honor. If you're you're being abused, it's okay to get away. (laughs) But it's more about honor. A backhanded blow to the right cheek was an insult to somebody's dignity. This was a culture of honor. Many people would have rather been beaten or flogged than smacked this way. When someone attacks our honor, Jesus says we're to turn the other cheek as a humble demonstration of non-retaliation. How many of you are public school products of the public school? Raise your hand. You've seen a fight, (laughs) you know, kid. Two kids at school around the flagpole. You know, one kid pushes another kid. A circle forms, and what do the kids start chanting? Fight fight, fight. And we're not doing that right now. <laughs> and, and then a kid throws a punch. And then what, a, what a, the kid who receives the punch, what do his friends say? Hit him back. Hit him back. Hit him back. And then a punch is thrown. And, and then this side is punched. And we see this back and forth, back and forth. Retaliation, vengeance. This may not happen to you physically. I hope it's not a regular occurrence in your life. I hope fist fighting isn't something normal for you. Uh, if it is, let's talk. But this happens to us all the time relationally. We're hit, we want to hit back. We're smack, we want to smack back. We're told to break this cycle of, of retribution and dishonor by not swinging back kingdom people reject retaliation. Look at verse 40. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Now, Jesus is not telling us how to deal with every specific court case and and what we need to do. Uh, You know, if if you're sued for an outlandish reason, uh, you may not be called to give everything you have. He's making an ethical point. And court cases 2,000 years ago if the defendant was penniless, the court could take his outfit, his clothes. That may be all somebody had. And the tunic was like an undershirt or an undergarment, and the court actually was allowed to take that. The outer coat was much more valuable. It was something you maybe used uh, obviously as warmth uh, to cover you, but it could be used as a sleeping bag a pillow. It was much more valuable. Uh, The courts were not allowed to take that. But Jesus is saying, go above and beyond and be willing to give up the more prized possession. Why be extra here? Because there's a cycle. There's an opportunity for a cycle of retribution to begin And Jesus wants us to cut that off. He only wants us to, he not only wants us to reject retaliation, he ups the ante. And I'm going to replace the word reject with replace. He wants us to replace retaliation with unexpected kindness. Jesus wants us to replace retaliation with unexpected kindness. I say unexpected because the world would say You do not need to give up your possessions. You do not need to give up your rights like that to an enemy. In fact, the world will say, fight with everything you have to those who oppose you, to those who insult you. Give up your rights. That's un-American. Give up my right to enact justice, to seek retribution. That's like what every Liam Neeson movie is about now. You did this bad to me, I'm going to kill all you guys. We glorify that. That It's, it's not a kingdom ethic. Jesus says, employ an otherworldly kindness to diffuse such situations. Look at verse 41. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. It's talking about here. It's not talking about if your friend wants to exercise and jog and go one, you push him and go two. Roman soldiers could force a civilian to carry their packs a mile, a Roman mile, which was pretty close to ours, maybe a little shorter than our mile. But a Roman soldier was probably never more hated when he, when he forced a Jewish person to do this. You, these people we look at as lesser, I want you to carry my pack. So you're asking me who you view as inferior to carry your pack for a mile. That would invite what? Retaliation. And she's saying, don't just go one mile. Go two. Do the unexpected. Replace your desire for retaliation with, with unexpected kindness. Look at 42. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This last illustration, it really sums up the others. With the law of retribution in view, people were to give others what they deserve. Jesus wants us to go beyond the letter of the law here and display generosity by meeting le- legitimate needs, even when we don't think the people we're at odds with deserve it. We replace retaliation with kindness. And a question kind of comes up, well, why? What's the motivation that, behind this? And, you know, one is to end cycles of Of retribution and vengeance. That's what kingdom people do, but there's there's another reason. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. The first part of that passage is found all over Scripture, Old Testament and New. Love your neighbor. The second is found nowhere in Scripture. (laughs) Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Most likely, hate was so common and so accepted that this seeped into the teachings that the disciples may be heard around the time of Jesus. You know, Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. What does Jesus say? Look at 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for them. Do you pray for people you don't like? If you're you're avoiding eye contact right now, I understand. Do you pray for people who treat you poorly? I dare you. I dare you to do it. I dare you to pray for people that you're at odds with. That person sitting right next to me. has been married for 25 years. I dare you to pray for them. Pray for them and watch what God does. Watch what God does with that relationship. We find our deeper answer in forty-four and forty-five. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rains on the just and on the unjust. When we show love, we love our enemies, we demonstrate that we are children of a loving God. God blesses both good and evil with good things. Even those who reject God are are loved by Him in a sense, are shown, in a sense, grace. God blesses both evil The evil and good, even those who reject him are loved by him. And as a result, we should love those people too. We demonstrate God's love. We demonstrate that we're children of God. Kingdom citizens replace retaliation with unpredictable kindness to demonstrate the love of God. Look at 46 and 48. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Loving the lovable (laughs) is easy. It's ordinary. People love people who are lovable. People who are like us, people who are put together, people we admire, maybe people that we can get something out of. It's easy to love the lovable. It's ordinary. It's human to love the lovable. To love the unlovable. To love the enemy is extraordinary. (laughs) It's inhuman. It's not human. It's, It's supernatural. And when we do it, we are... Like God, he says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect. God is not, tr- Jesus is not trying to frustrate us with an impossible standard that we'll never live up to. I can never be perfect. Perfect here can also be translated as, as mature. So as your loving Father loves, be like him in, in loving others, mature in godliness. Grow in, in, in godliness by, by treating your enemies in the way that he has treated us, his enemies, and shown us love. We read that passage at the beginning of the service about while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, he died for us. Jesus tells us to grow in godliness and maturity and loving people. Now, I'm going to be honest. It's very hard to take these commands and, and turn the other cheek, give your coat, go the extra mile, love your enemies, and apply them to our modern setting in every situation. We're, we're, we often come to a passage like this, and, and there's many of us that will say, well, what about this? What about this little detail? What about this sort of situation? And, and this person, and, and there are some you know, wacky scenarios that we can kind of conjure up and create moral conundrums here, and it's good to talk about those, but, but this passage really does apply to every one of our lives every day. And it's very simple to, to understand. Are you currently caught up in a cycle of dishonor and vengeance? Is there a coworker? Listen to me here. Really, really evaluates your heart as I speak this. Is there, is there a coworker? Neighbor? Or church attender? Who you butt heads with on a regular basis? It may be a family member. Yeah. It may be a spouse. Not me. We're great. <laughs> but you other people. Maybe. The person you married. You may not even remember when the tension started. But there's a negative back and forth. You may be even in the same room with them on a regular basis. But there's people ignoring each other. There's dirty looks. Passive comments. What would... What would it look like for you to abandon the desire for retaliation and do something unpredictably kind? But, but they're, not, they're not doing it. I'm not talking to them. I'm talking to you. What would it look like for you to do something unpredictably kind and to, to pray for them? to speak a word of kindness or encouragement, to to listen to them? What would it look like for you to serve them or or show generosity to them? You, not the other person, you, kingdom citizen, are are the one called to demonstrate God's love by stopping that cycle of pain and retribution through otherworldly kindness. It is on you. It is on me to take that step. Now, you may say I don't want to come across weak. I don't want to lose the up, upper hand. Guys, relationships aren't competitions. I don't I don't want to look look is 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 the Christian here then a doormat? Are are, are they weak? Are they going to get rolled over and steamrolled in my opinion? And I think when you step back and you look at people who do this well, I see people who are strong. Spurgeon said he is to be an anvil when other men are hammers. We are to be an anvil when other men are hammers. Jim Elliott, the missionary, was speared to death in 1956 while attempting to Contact a remote tribe in Ecuador. He left behind a 10-month-old daughter and a wife. His wife, Elizabeth, could have met evil with evil. These people murdered my husband. Let's take care of them. Elizabeth, along with her daughter, would later return to reach, live among, minister, and love the people who killed her husband. Was Elizabeth Elliot weak? <laughs> Absolutely not. She was strong. Her faith was strong. Her love for God was strong. Her love for, for others was so strong, it pushed out any desire for vengeful retaliation and replaced it with unexpected, Otherworldly, radical kindness. And in this, she demonstrated godliness. In this, she demonstrated that she was a child of God. In this, she demonstrated Christlikeness. Now, Jesus is not saying or asking us to do anything that He hasn't done. He's not asking us to do anything He won't help us do if we. Ask him, Jesus was mocked. He was scorned. He was accused, and a crown of thorns was was placed on his head. Would anyone question his righteousness if, in that moment of pain before his death, he called down an, an army of angels to wipe away those who were hurting him? No. But he set that aside, he stood silent, he was whipped crucified and laughed at yet he prayed father forgive him and he willingly suffered and and he gave up his right to retaliate so that he could demonstrate the greatest act of unexpected kindness in history to those who didn't deserve kindness he died so we his one-time enemies could be his children and live with him forever through faith. The same Jesus who turned his cheek, the same Jesus who gave up his coat, the same Jesus who went the extra mile for his enemies. He can help you and me do the same if we ask him. Amen. Let's pray.